Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. And this is $2 Tuesday, the series where we talk about movies we haven't talked about before. Well, we kind of talked a little bit about this before, about a month ago when I went to the movies to see The Hunger Games. So there was a re-release last month, October. I think it was like October 15th, somewhere around there I went to go see it. And, you know, it was an anticipation and preparation for the prequel that's coming out this week, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And I have seen The Hunger Games many times. I actually watched it when I was sick with COVID in July, but I did see it in theaters when it initially came out. I went to the midnight premiere. Remember midnight premieres, y'all, before Thursday preview nights were a thing? Yeah, midnight premieres. I miss those so much. Not sure if I can do those again at my big age, but hey one can dream so I figured hey what an opportunity this will be a lot of fun I don't think I've been to a re-release before not counting when I saw Inception but I don't count that that was the first movie that AMC was showing when we were able to go back to the movies in 2020 so this is like my first like real re-release for a purpose of some kind and I figured oh I'll be fine I've watched this movie many times since then you know I I don't get teary eyed I don't get emotional no I cried once again from beginning to end that's the thing about this movie is it jumps right into it it doesn't waste any time it doesn't you know it it doesn't give you time to kind of brace yourself and you know get ready It, it really just jumps into the thing very quickly we're seeing the fanfare of the Hunger Games and then we go right into District 12 where we see poverty and just you know starvation and hunger and Katniss who is trying her best to take care of her family feed her family you know take care of her sister who's nervous because it's her first reaping and we're, we're jumped right into the seriousness of it all like we don't get to waste any time but this was you know YA fiction in the early 2000s 2010s it was very dire everything was so urgent and immediate which was so reflective of the time you know especially for adolescents around that time we were dealing with a lot we were you know babies you know teenagers when 9-11 happened then we had two big wars it it looked it felt like the world was ending everything was kind of 
crumbling and crashing down. And on top of all that, we're trying to figure out who we are as a generation. So many, you know, teen fiction books around this time, things, books that we would have been reading, you know, from the ages of like 15, even up to about 25, very reflective of where we were at the time. Just so many questions about identity, who we are, how we label ourselves, where we fit in, what our values are, and what's important, what's real, what's not. And so The Hunger Games is kind of part of all of that. So yeah, the movie just kind of, it just jumps right into it. And we're thrust right into the world of the capital and The Hunger Games and just the seriousness of it all. And I kind of want to talk about it a bit as we get ready for the prequel coming out. I'm seeing it on Thursday. I think I'm seeing it in a prime theater. So that super surround sound, if I remember correctly, I can't remember. I have to look at my ticket, but let's get into it. I just want to dive into interesting themes that the Hunger Games, you know, tackles. So let's talk about it. So this little movie, The Hunger Games, released in 2012, directed by Gary Ross, Suzanne Collins, who wrote the novel on which the movie is based, helped to co-write the script with Gary Ross and Billy Ray. So this movie stars Jennifer Lawrence, Josh Hutcherson, Liam Hemsworth, uh, Woody Harrelson, Elizabeth Banks, Lenny Kravitz, Stanley Tucci, Donald Sutherland, Isabel Furman, Amanda Stenberg, Willow Shields. So a nice little mix of a cast. You know, you have a mix of newcomers, um, some unknowns, and some veterans. I think it's a nice balanced mix for this cast. It's kind of a dream cast. It's a little bit perfect. So this movie, there was a little bit of controversy surrounding Jennifer Lawrence's casting, not so much with the powers that be, but, you know, with fans, because Katniss Everdeen, the character she plays, is 16 years of age. Jennifer Lawrence, on the other hand, was 20 years old when filming began, so four years older. But Suzanne Collins, the novelist, um, really wanted an older actress because of the maturity that the role would require. And she felt like an older actress would be able to portray that on screen. Here's the thing about we have to remember about, you know, real life versus television is that, you know, how in, you know, your car, your rear, your side mirrors always have that message, you know, objects appear closer than they are or something like that. Film is kind of that way as well. You have to film has a way of distorting and matching reality all at the same time. So we always have these older actors or actresses playing characters that are actually younger than they are. And we have a way of making sense of them being that age. And I think a lot of it has to do with behavior and maturity. I think a younger actress would have been a little too immature for this role, especially if you had an actress who was younger and a diehard fan. Isabel Furman, who plays Clove in this movie, actually auditioned for Katniss and they thought she was too young. I can't remember how old she was, but I know she had just um, come off of the um, the fame from the movie Orphan. But they brought her back because they thought she might do well as Clove. Good choice. I thought she was perfect. We'll talk about that a little bit later. This movie, in part, was filmed in my old neck of the woods, so Charlotte area, some of it, and the Appalachian Mountains. So I think anyone that lives in that area, it's instantly recognizable. There's something just a little bit different about it. There's something special about the Appalachian Mountains. And what I really loved about the soundtrack is the music really captured that 
Appalachian folk spirit. It, it felt familiar. It felt like home. It, it just, it was something different. So going to the midnight showing and, you know, sitting through the end of the credits, every, no one moved. It, it was very, it's a very somber movie. Nobody moved. And then you get to the end where it shows you where the movie was filmed, you know, special thanks to such and such and such. And then to see our name, Charlotte on the screen, you know, everyone hooped, hollered and clapped. It was a beautiful little moment. It, it's, it's a cute thing. It's fun being in a theater and you see your city's name, your name in a sense on the screen and know, Hey, I had a part in this. I I didn't, but Hey, they came to us to film this beautiful little movie. So this movie had a $78 budget and went on to gross almost $700 million, $694.4 million at the global box office. That's insane. That's huge. That's massive. And it really helped to, you know, catapult them into what needed to be done in order for them to come up with the sequels, three sequels. So you have Catching Fire and then Mockingjay Part 1, Mockingjay Part 2. Now, when we get to those sequels, we have a different director, different writers. I think the golden magic here with the first one. Now, I've seen the sequels, but I much prefer the first one. And I think what I love about it is I think that there's something about the way Gary Ross does it that's just different from how Francis Lawrence does it. But at the same time, I appreciate them bringing back Francis Lawrence for the prequel. So continuity. That's something that I've noticed with Harry Potter as well. It's the same director for the... um last couple of Harry Potter movies and then the prequel movies, the, you know, Fantastic Beast movies, it's all the same director. So that continuity. So I appreciate that. I respect that. But I definitely love what Gary Ross did better than what Francis Lawrence did. Both great, but I definitely prefer the, uh, the intimate close-up shots, the camera that never moves, the, um, kind of smooth and quick editing. Like I very much appreciated that a little bit more. I think Francis Lawrence goes into the dialogue a little bit more. We get into the emotions a little bit more. Gary Ross's um, Hunger Games is a little more stoic, um, very stiff, very much like Katniss Everdeen, who has to kind of put on this front of strength for her family. Her mother is depressed, has been since their father died in a freak accident in the coal mines. So she is responsible for taking care of not just her little sister, but also her mother. So she has to be the rock. She has to be the strong one. I think any firstborn daughter can relate to that. For whatever reason, we're always relegated to being the rock. We're the strong ones. When Ish goes down, everyone's looking at us. No matter how old we are, everyone's looking at us. That firstborn daughter thing that we all seem to have in common, no matter our family structure. I think it's just instantly relatable. We fall into the that, that role of being the rock when everything just kind of goes downhill. But what about this movie? What is so amazing about this movie? I think this movie is was bold. The story in itself. Now, we can talk about the book, but just talking about the movie, I thought it was very bold because what is this about? This is about children killing children for adult entertainment. This is about, you know, watching people suffer and die for entertainment, which I think is so, so telling of our own culture. How, how, how we enjoy watching other people suffer for a good laugh, whether it's watching a prank or watching somebody fall and hurt themselves. Or even watching what's happening overseas and we're seeing all this death and destruction and people can say, oh, it's so sad. But at the end of the day, for us, it's entertainment and it's sad. 
but it's real life. And I think this movie and this story in general kind of plays to that. I want to kind of get into the themes here. There are several that you can go, but there's three big ones. And number one being the suffering for entertainment's sake. That's where these two movies are going to connect, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and the Hunger Games, these two stories anyway. Now I'm still reading the book. But what I can tell you about what I've read so far is the prequel is talking about the 10th annual Hunger Games. So 10 years removed from the war, 10 or 11 years. So 65-ish years, about 64 years before the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games movie is about the 74th annual Hunger Games. So the 10th annual Hunger Games, all of that cute little fanfare wasn't there. They were treating these tributes like dogs, chaining them up, beating them, um, It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Starving them to death, throwing them in animal cages in a defunct zoo, you know, treating them like a spectacle. And they were, but the Capitol was facing a problem because viewership for the Hunger Games was down. And that was the whole point is they needed people to watch. They needed people to see the suffering. And especially they needed, you know, the districts to see the suffering because if they don't see the suffering, if they don't see the horrible things that could happen, how how will they know to not rebel again? That's another theme that goes into this is control. That's the whole point of the Hunger Games is to keep the districts under control. But we'll get into that in a second. So that's what's happening in this prequel that we're going to see is them trying to figure out how to make the Hunger Games, this this game where children are killing children, how they make it entertainment. I, I think that's what makes it so disturbing and gruesome because it's not just entertainment 
for entertainment's sake, it's children killing children and it's adults watching. So how do we turn this sport of children killing children into entertainment? That's what this prequel is kind of going to focus on. And then we kind of see the effects of that 64 years later, the 74th annual Hunger Games, where the reapings are, you know, televised for everyone to see. And it's this big moment of Katniss, you know, volunteering as tribute to save her sister and then going on this amazingly expensive train with all the food that she can eat that she probably never got a chance to eat going to a large building where they get the penthouse suite because they're district 12. So it's 12 floors. They get the 12th they get the 12th floor to these beautiful interviews where people are interviewing them for the Hunger Games, asking them their strategies. And they get a stylist and they get groomed. They get their hair cut, their legs waxed, eyebrows done, everything to make them TV and camera ready to make people sympathize and, and root for them. Instead of just watching these no names, these nobodies kill each other on screen, they give the audiences a chance to connect with these people and root for them and fall in love with them in a sense. How cruel is that to to give people something to hope for and root for only to crush it, only to just smash it to the ground? And it's not like somebody's, you know, destroying a science project. These are bodies. These are real human beings. These are people. Suffering is entertainment, but then that kind of goes into control. This whole thing about the Hunger Games is an effort to control the populace. How do we keep the districts from rebelling again? Because that's how this whole thing started, where the districts, there were 13 at the time, rebelled against the capital. Well, the capital won. And in an effort to make sure that never happens again, trying to say in a remembrance of what was and what can never be again. And, you know, song of our unity, we have the Hunger Games where they have children ages 12 to 18 have to put their names into a lottery system and they can put their names in the lottery system as many times as they want and they'll get something for it, whether it's cash, food, what have you. And Every year, their names are drawn from this lottery system, and they are chosen to participate in the Hunger Games. And it's such an interesting scene at the at the reaping, because you have this lady on stage who's treating it like this amazing event. She's so excited, like, oh, may the odds be ever in your favor. Nobody else could have done that better than Elizabeth Banks. I don't care. No one else could have done that the way she did it. So she's trying to make it this beautiful moment. And then you have all of these young kids standing there in these bland colors of shades of, you know, white, gray, and blue. It's such a beautifully set up scene. The costuming here is amazing. It was such an interesting touch to try to suck all of the feeling and the love out of the scene, leaving us kind of bland and detached along with them. And then this moment that of emotion kind of breaks through all of that, Katniss volunteering as tribute. And that's when the waterworks for me started. Gary Ross does a great job of of having us walk in lockstep with these emotions, this sense of numbness and detached fear. And then all of a sudden, bam, a breakthrough emotional moment. It's it's beautifully done. But this is all an attempt to kind of control the districts because it's like, if you do this again, we will kill your children. Every year they kill their children. Every year they do it. Every year they kill their children in an effort to keep them from rebelling again. And then we have Katniss, who seems to be a symbol of rebellion. You know, it's her sister whose name is called. She's young. She's like 12 years old. And it's her first time putting her name in the lottery for the reaping. And 
out of nowhere, her name gets called, but Katniss steps up and said, nope, I'm going in her place. This act of rebellion is an, is instantly a threat. Instantly a threat. She saves the child that they've committed to killing and takes a bit of that control back. That's that's what makes this movie so interesting is that we're still at, and, and kind of mirrors real life in a bit and that we're still asking children to fight our battles. That adults have become so weak and so complicit and so scared that we have children not just fighting our battles for entertainment, but also fighting our battles for survival. So this, this thing about suffering is entertainment, control, and then division, the way it's divided. The capital, kids in the capital, they don't have to enter their names into the reaping. They get the best education, the best food, the best clothes. They're up on all the best trends with the kids in the districts. Oh, man. Life sucks for them. And then you have, excuse me, you have the division amongst the divisions, amongst the districts. So you have those first like two districts where they're literally training their kids for this. They rob them of their adolescence forcing them to kind of train for this moment. And then once they get a certain age, they'll volunteer to participate in the Hunger Games as seen as an honor and thrown into this ring to fight to the death in hopes that they win. There's this beautiful little moment in, it's it's beautiful, it's sad, it's tragic, but it's right before Clove, played by Isabel, Isabel Furman, dies. And she's, you know, got her knife to Katniss's throat and she's lying to her, telling, you know, we killed Rue, we killed that little girl. We, you know, she looks sadistic. She looks like a mad person, just, just evil. And then Thrash, who is um, from District 11, the boy from District 11, grabs her, slams her, and then all of a sudden she's a little girl. It's that, that instant switch. She goes from this mad killing machine to a little girl. And it's such a, it, it describes the entire movie in that moment. This little girl who was trained from a very young age to kill and destroy. You see her as an enemy. You see her as awful and evil. She is an antagonist in this movie in a sense. And then you're reminded she's just a child. And it's one of the saddest deaths in the movie for me because we never got a moment to really get to know Clove. We never got a moment to see who she really was, away from all the training, away from the robbing of her adolescence and her childhood. We get this brief moment and we see her as she is right before she dies. And it's so incredibly sad. So we have the division amongst the districts. We have the division, the division between the capital and the districts, this sense of inequality that you can never rise above your status unless you happen to win the Hunger Games. And even then you're dealt with all this different kinds of trauma. The capital is us. Think about what we're dealing with right now with Israel and Palestine. We have these this this conflict on the other side of the world that we don't quite understand that's happening. And we're sitting here in the comfort of our comfy little American homes, just viewing things from a distance, trying to make interpretations, trying to make sense of it, trying to give our own opinion like we are experts, talking over people who actually live there. We are the capital, looking at their struggle, looking at their plight, And as soon as it stops being any kind of entertaining, we're going to move on to the next thing. 
And that's the tragic sadness of it all. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to me geek out about The Hunger Games. I think the movie is just absolutely gorgeous. And I'm glad I got to talk about it. So what's coming up? Clearly, we have the prequel movie coming out on Thursday. Well, I'll be seeing it on Thursday. And I'm also seeing Wish on Saturday. Next week's a busy week, so it's Thanksgiving week, right? So I'll actually be seeing, just to put it all together, I'm seeing the prequel movie on Thursday, Wish on Saturday. I have my ticket for Saltburn. And by the time you hear this, I should have my ticket for Napoleon. So I'm seeing double feature next Tuesday, Saltburn, and then Napoleon in the evening. Should be fun. I don't think I'm going to be seeing any movies on Thursday. So you may or may not get an episode on Friday. More than likely, you're going to get them Wednesday because Napoleon and Saltburn, I believe, show on Wednesday. But you are going to get the Wish um, review early. I'm, I'm thinking as I'm going. So yeah, I'll see Wish Saturday. I'll record the review for that on Monday. So yeah, you'll get that review Monday. And that movie actually comes out on Wednesday, you know, regular Tuesday previews. So yeah, that's what's coming up. And then we're going towards the end of the month. I'm going to another AMC screen unseen. It's going to be a rated R movie this time around with a two hour runtime. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what it is. Cro- fingers crossed. It's American fiction. I really want to see American fiction. So that's what I'm hoping it's going to be. But we shall see. It could be anything. There are some interesting things coming out in the month of December. But that's all I got for you today. Y'all are amazing. Thank you so much for your support. Love you much. And I will see you next time.